Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are talking all things exchange traded funds. That's right, ETFs. A lot of people see these as a very basic investment tool, but sometimes world-class basics can set you up for life. These are actually a very sophisticated tool when you know how to use them properly. As always, take plenty of notes, but most importantly, make sure you take plenty of action. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Renshaw. Pleasure to be here today, Mr. Baxter. Thanks for having me. Now, I'm really excited about today's topic because it is a growing area within our broking division that we've been focusing on, and I know it's one of your personal favorites, and that is exchange-traded funds or ETFs. Absolutely. What a great vehicle they are. Game changer. And just to preface this uh, this conversation, we talk about things you'd do if you had your time over again. These didn't exist when I started my trading career, but uh, I'll tell you what, I wish I'd started with them. And, and, and then look, a lot of people think that exchange traded funds are fairly boring or they're fairly basic, mm. but when used in the right way, and we'll talk about types of ETFs later on, they can be very niche and they can be very spicy or volatile if you want to play that area of the market. Absolutely. It's a huge misbelief to think that, oh, that's the baby step into the world of investing using exchange traded fund. You learn to use them properly. They can be one of the most sophisticated investment tools in the market, bar none. And I say that as someone that's a 30 year plus veteran, so I'm sure we'll get there. All right. Well, 30 plus years, AB, what's our definition of an ETF, if you can, for our listeners? I guess an ETF and a managed fund in some respects can be seem to be the same. There are differences, and we'll explain what they are in a few moments. But uh, effectively, it's a, a basket. Think about a shopping trolley. So if you went into a supermarket, uh, and, and let's say the supermarket and the stock market are the same, there's 20,000 different things that you could buy. Um, you put what you want into your shopping cart. Well, an exchange-traded uh, fund is effectively that shopping cart where some of the stuff, or sometimes all of the stuff from on the shelves, is effectively put into that cart for you to uh, to take away effectively. So it's a way of having a, a very diversified uh, set of holdings, uh, and they can work very, very well uh, for people that, for example, have got a small amount of money to invest, but they want to have a diversified uh, exposure to the market. So it's a basket of listed securities uh, that are contained in, in, in one bundled up shopping trolley, if you will, of opportunity. And question to you then, who actually picks what stocks go into that trolley and the various trolleys there are? I guess uh, I guess that's the, the, the subtle difference, if you will, between an exchange-traded fund and a managed fund. So uh, managed funds tend to be more actively uh, managed with a fund manager, and hence why the fee structure usually is a little bit more punitive from the investor's perspective. With an exchange-traded fund, it can be a lot more passive insofar as if you've got uh, an index tracking fund, for example, uh, say you've got one that tracks the ASX 200 or the S&P 500, um, the 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 the, the the thing is set, it's not jiggled around with, it just goes about its business in a fairly passive way. That can change a little bit as you move into more niche uh, types of ETFs, but typically, yeah, they're a little bit more passive in the way that they're managed. And as a consequence, of course, um, the fee structure is a little bit more uh, competitive. They're also listed uh, and traded on a market, hence the name Exchange Traded Fund. I suppose it's eponymous, it's named after what it is. Um, they are traded on exchanges and they are funds. So they're an exchange traded fund, whereas a, a managed fund typically is not listed Listed. It does have a unit price uh, that you uh, that you can see quoted in the paper or online, uh, and that's the value, the buy and sell value of that on a daily basis. But that's quite different to something that's listed uh, within the market, which has a, a dynamic price during the trading day. Uh, you know, an exchange traded fund will move around during the trading session, whereas a managed fund will just have a unit price per day. So, AB, as you say, ETFs <coughs> they do have a fee component to them, but fairly competitive and a lot less to manage funds. Are there any other benefits of ETFs that you would describe relative to managed funds? Well, I think in, in, in many instances, uh, given the way that they're managed, 
their tracking error or, or ability to follow the market typically is a lot tighter. So you know, we talked about managed funds and their innate ability to underperform markets over a period of time. I think the um, Spiva survey that was on CanStar talked about 80.8% you know, of actively managed funds underperform the market. Whereas if you had, uh, uh, you know, for example, an ASX 200 ETF, it follows the market exactly. So if you want tracking of the market, an ETF or an index tracker is probably better than a managed fund in the first instance. Um, but also where you've got uh, um, uh, an ETF, there's also a public disclosure of what they're holding. So typically, the, you know, at least the top 10 or 20 holdings are published pretty much real time, whereas with a managed fund, everything operates behind the cloak. I know from my time as a fund manager, there's no way in a million years you disclose your positions real time. You talk about them after you're out because clearly it, you know, it's important to make sure that you, you know, you're not front running or you've got no vested interest in what you're talking about. Um, so that's something that also is, is a benefit to them. There's a lot of transparency. And you know, if you're someone that's got, for example, an environmental bent, you can look and see what the holdings are to see if that conflicts, if you've got an ESG mindset, for example. So you can see specifically which individual stocks are held within that ETF, or at least the first, yeah, the, the most, the, the, large, the biggest the, ones. Probably the top 10 to top 20. Gotcha. Mm. So if I can, AB, let's do some heavy lifting now. Let's talk about types of ETFs. So I want to know the what, but then I also want to know the how. Mm. So I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you specific trade examples where you've used that kind of ETF. Mm -hmm. Starting nice and broad, I guess if we work our way up in terms of the pyramid, broad market ETFs, what are they and how have you used them before? The majority of the trading I do, as you know, is, is in the US these days. So most of the examples I'll, I'll give you are US exchange traded funds and, and, and my reasoning for wanting to do that, liquidity, the ability to trade options over them. So uh, it's certainly a significantly bigger market, tighter spreads, uh, truer trading and so on and so forth. So to give you an idea, I've tried, I mean, SPY is the S&P 500 ETF, which I trade, yep. Regularly, equally the Nasdaq, uh, same thing is is one that I, I trade very very regularly, which is the Q's QQQ, uh, being the code for that. And and these are broad market following ETFs. So if you want to track what the S and P five hundred is doing, you buy SPY, you buy it on the stock market, so you don't need to go through a financial planner or a dealing, uh, you know, a platform of managed funds. You can trade directly in the market hence exchange traded funds, and you've immediately got exposure to the top 500 companies in the US. You can add to that as a regular saver, which is a huge benefit for ETFs because the transaction fees are so low. You know, so let's say you've got an extra thousand bucks saved up and you want to track the market, you buy a thousand bucks worth of SPY, now you've got an S&P 500 portfolio. So just to, just to clarify that for the benefit mm -hmm. of our listeners, AB, so let's say the SPY is trading at ballpark, say 420 bucks per unit. Mm. That means one unit is equivalent to holding all 500 shares within the S&P 500, yep. albeit they are weighted differently based on their market cap in exactly that example, right. right? So you're going to track what the index is. So it's not like you've got a one five hundredth piece of those companies. It's 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 taken against, as you say, their market capitalization, which is the value of the business. So yeah, if you were to consider you know a Bermoth organization like Apple uh, versus uh, yeah um, Wells Fargo, Apple is multiples bigger than Wells Fargo, and as such, within the S and P five hundred, it would represent a significantly more substantial position in there. So it's it's prorated exactly as the S&P 500 index is. Perfect. Great way to get broad market exposure. A200 here in Australia. A200 here in Australia to give you that Aussie exposure. Uh, again, the difficulty here is uh, in Australia is the inability to really do options work uh, on those ETFs. Same with the NASDAQ. So you've got that ability to have exposure to your tech sector uh, on an equal footing across the board. So the way I try and construct a portfolio is we use a model we call solar system. So if you can imagine you've got a planet 
um, or, or better yet, you've got the got the you've got the sun, and, and the biggest holding the sun is going to be the indices in themselves. So you can have either the S and P or the Nasdaq as, as your big index. You notice we don't talk about the Dow Jones particularly, and, and I guess part of the reason for that is, you know, the Dow Jones is only thirty companies. Uh, and it's not a, a good proxy for the health of the US stock market. The S&P 500 is where you want to go. So the sun is made up of basically either the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. They're your big allocations to give you that index tracking performance. The next step out uh, 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 moving along would be specifically in different sectors. So if you've got a particular disposition towards gold um, or uh, energy or US uh, or, or oil through USO, or uh, for, give me a couple of examples in the commodity space, uh, or maybe you know healthcare might be a sector that you want some exposure to, or banking and finance. You can then move into what's called a, a sectoral ETF, uh, and that's going to be a far smaller position than than the sun sized uh, uh, holding that you might have in the index because you're taking a narrower focus. And I guess for our listeners, the key thing to understand is that that narrow focus may be where you get great outperformance of the market if you pick. The right sector, but equally it can be a little bit more risk on. Where if you get it wrong, it can really be quite damaging. Hence, why it's a smaller, what we call asset allocation decision to that. So, you know, to give you an example, XLF would be a sector waiting uh, in in the in the finance and banking sector in the U.S. Uh, and that's one I've traded frequently. It's had a tough run on the back of some of the regional banks as late, but uh, may well be looking to be quite good value now. So, just to just to tr- <coughs> flesh that out a little bit more, AB, you mentioned specific tickers. So, XLF being mm. a financial ETF. There are other financial ETFs in the US, but they're actually issued by different different companies, right? Yeah, that's right. So there's no one ETF that you can trade. There are a multitude of, of providers out there. Um, what I try and work toward with the selection criteria that I use and, uh, and what I advocate for our clients is number one, pick the biggest one. And it's not because the biggest is the best, but just by the natural forces within a market, when you have a a larger ETF with more participants trading it, the pricing is truer, the liquidity, the buy and sell spread is tighter, the chances are, which is very relevant for me, the options market is is more evolved, so it makes it much easier to be able to do covered calls, for example, or sell puts or whatever the option strategy may be around that. Um, so, so there's a big impetus for that. Now, there, there will be several other ETFs in that sector, and they're all pretty big in the US. I just happen to try and pick ones that are either the biggest and or have the ability to trade weekly options. That's my criteria in the first instance. Now, you can get exposure to other kinds of assets within the stock market using ETFs. So mm. we used, we've used TBT and TLT as two yep. examples in the bond market, AB. Any other examples in that space that you can think the, of? The, they're two crackers because you know investing in bonds can be quite tricky. And secondly, most bond funds are based on bond prices moving higher. That's how you make your money. So what do you do in a rising interest rate environment where bond prices are falling and bond yields are going up? Well, that's TBT to a cent. That's exactly the spot to play. And we've made some great money you know, trading that over the last few years in that interest rate tightening cycle. Equally, when that plays out, taking the flip side of the coin, TLT, is now where yields are falling and bond prices are moving up perfectly positioned, very liquid, wonderful options markets, and, and they do provide that. Elsewhere in the bond market, uh, seeing as you've asked, like other places, if you wanted to trade 
at the shorter duration end of bonds. And if this doesn't make sense, um, we've, we've done a podcast quite recently actually on bonds, but bonds have a duration and that's when the IOU that you've purchased needs to be repaid. And, and typically TBT, for example, is a 20-year is a treasury. So that's in 20 years time the dough needs to be paid back. And oftentimes in the bond market, as you'll know from your day studying economics, the, the yield curve can behave in a very different way with different maturities for when the IOU is due to be paid. So if you wanted to move towards the short end, one of my go-tos, I love uh, IEF, it's at the seven to 10 year end of the treasury market. So it's much more responsive than TBT. And it's a good example of trading the, the shorter dated end. Perfect. Uh, and that's something that not a lot of people would mm. typically know is that you can get exposure to various other asset classes. Even you can get exposure to fixed interest, fixed interest excuse me, assets yeah. within the ETF space. Cash as well, if you wanted to take a cash plus rate as well. So there's so, so many different things that you can do. They're very, very powerful tool. What about hedging, AB? A big part of what we do specifically in the options market is, is hedging our positions to protect our downside. Importantly, inverse ETFs. So these are ones that will act uh, outside the normal bounds of what the market does. So any examples in there and how? Okay, so if you have a bearish view on the market, you think the market is going to fall. And this one's always an interesting one, Mitch, and I, I bet you now more and more people know you're involved with the stock market to the level that you are. When there's a rough day and it's a pretty red day, the market's sold off, you know, you get those people out and about, oh, how's the market today then? I bet that's going really well, isn't it? You know, that level of sarcasm that you just want to sort of dispatch a right hook for, if you could do that, um, uh, to, to sort of pin that down. And these people have no idea that in those falling market conditions, it can be even more lucrative because the moves are short, sharp, there's volatility, it's what we look for as traders. So in those down days or down periods uh, within the market, if we're moved into that bearish phase, which is the term we use, things like SH, for example, which is the short S&P 500. So the more the S&P 500 falls in value in a bearish market with prices moving down, the more SH actually goes up in value. So it's totally inversely correlated. Now that can be a very, very useful tool if you're someone that's managing your own super, for example, and you feel that market conditions are getting a bit more bearish. And instead of maybe following the financial planner's advice of, oh, you should hold some bonds or something that's a bit more of a defensive holding like utilities or healthcare. Look, when the market falls, all stocks, a rising tide lifts all ships and a falling tide drops them. Um, in a falling market, holding a more defensive sector may give you less pain, but you're still going to have it. What makes far more sense is to actually short the market through that period of time and actually profit from it. Or if you wanted to hedge, as you say, just buy an equivalent short position. And whenever the market drops, what you lose on your long position, you, you recover on your short and net you're neither up nor down. So SH is a great way of profiting from a falling S&P. If we were to look at the NASDAQ, PSQ would be the equivalent on the NASDAQ, so you can short the NASDAQ. If you're looking at the Aussie market, B-E-A-R, bear, I don't know how they came up with the name for that. Yeah, but, it's clever, uh, isn't it? It's very clever on that. Or BBOZ um, if you want leveraged exposure, but for the same thing. There you go, so plenty of places to go. So bear for, for the Aussie market as well. So they're, they're inversely correlated. Uh, they let you make profit in a falling market. Very, very useful. And, and you can still sell call options over those as well making income as well as uh, capital gain in a falling market. Absolutely. So getting further along the pointy end of that pyramid, mm -hmm. ABU, we talked to, I just mentioned it a second ago about leveraged exposure. <laughs> so geared ETFs. Now this yeah. is a little bit more towards the end of need to be more experienced in order to trade these. And I know you love some geared ETFs. Mm -hmm. What are some examples? How have you traded them? Okay. So geared ETFs, let's be very clear and you, you, you bang on. You need to you can't be on your P plates and be messing around with these things uh, because, yeah, they can bite very, very hard if you get the trade wrong. So 
the, the, the avoidance of the use of leverage early on in your investing career is absolutely critical. I can't stress how important that is. And you could say that from a compliance perspective. You can certainly say it from a moral perspective. And I guess we also get the, the joys of being up in the ivory tower and we can see it from a client trading perspective. So this is real stuff to avoid until you're at that level of competency. So look, if you're looking at the NASDAQ, which, uh, which is one of my preferred fields of play, TQQ is the triple geared NASDAQ. So that baby runs on high octane fuel. A small move, big move in that particular unit price. So when you say three times leverage, David, is mm. to clarify, NASDAQ moves up by 1%, TQQ moves up by 3%, right? correct? Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, the, it's the NASDAQ on steroids. And, and it's interesting because I'll, I'll talk about the value of that in a few moments' time. On the other side of the coin, if you had a bearish view on the market and you wanted to be geared, you could use SQQ, which is the triple geared bearish Exciting. ETF on NASDAQ. Now, that, <laughs> that, 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 that'll clear your nostrils out pretty quickly if you're on the wrong side of it. So you've got to be very, very, very careful with these. Now, I mentioned that you know you shouldn't be trading a geared ETF until you've, you know, you're well off your P plates and you've got some level of experience. Where those instruments actually carry a very, very useful value for all portfolio investors is that perhaps you're almost fully invested and you want to get more exposure to something. Well, if it's triple geared, just put a third of the cash down on it, in which case you're getting the same exposure as if you bought, in this case, QQQ, the NASDAQ ETF. But instead of requiring you know, a reasonable sum of money to do that, you can put a third down and then the three times gearing is going to give you the same dollar equivalent. I guess the message in there is don't take too big a position size on something that's geared because, like I say, that will straighten you out pretty quick. And as you say, you need to be off your P plates because even that little nuance of position sizing comes with experience and education, right? Which, 100%. You know, most people wouldn't know. World-class basics. You know, it's so, so important to understand that. And, and, and you know, that's, that's an example of being able to use gearing. And I, I do play quite heavily in that space. All right, now getting to the final top of this pyramid, the very pointy end of the ETF market. Is there anywhere to go after gearing? I know, right? Well, there is more. It's the special situations (laughs) ETF. So if you've got a very, very niche view or something that you want to capitalize on, there are ETFs that can allow exposure to that. Mm -hmm. So some examples and some uh, some. Some tickers that we'd like right. to use. All right, so to buy myself a bit of time to give you a good case study, <laughs> we've talked about the sun being the big index position. We've talked about you know having a sector like XLF or XLU, the utilities, or, or uh, and so on to be the 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 satellite position around that the the the, the, the planet. The, the the next one further out is the moon in that solar system. So by by an order, sun, planet, moon, they're getting progressively smaller, and. Special situations are always going to be the smallest holdings that you have on an account for the simple reason is that, A, you can't use a special situation strategy all of the time. It's just now and then it's going to present itself. And secondly, it typically is quite fast moving. So you don't want a whole bunch of coin tied up into those positions. It's going to smash, grab, done and dusted. So in that regard, let's think of a couple of examples. Volatility would be one of them. And volatility we measure using the VIX index, which is traded on the, well, the index itself isn't traded on the Chicago border trade, but it's, a, it's an underlying uh, guide for the futures market. But in the ETF space, we can go to things like VIXI, for example, which is the ETF based around the VIX index. So if you feel that volatility is going to increase in the market around, for example, results, uh, the RBA, uh, sorry, or in the US, the Federal Reserve meeting to discuss interest rates, some key economic data, uh, a major economic event like debt ceiling, uh, a calamitous event in the world, 
for example, warfare um, or whatever, or an act of terror or something like that that's really quite material. Like and all the things happening right now, almost. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, all of those things typically create a level of volatility in the market. And when volatility spikes up, that's where you see those sharp, very, very quick knee-jerk reactions to a share price. Well, rather than be a victim of that and seeing your share portfolio get hosed, you can be on the other side of the trade and be trading that volatility index in itself. And as it pops up, you then make uh, some really nice profit. So it's a great hedging tool, again, to manage downside risk. I like to use it as a speculative tool rather than simply hedging. So VIXI is an example of a US ETF, which if volatility increases, that goes up. If that's not enough excitement for you, which it probably should be for most people. You can look at things like UVXY, which is the geared ETF on volatility. And gee, that thing is a savage beast. That's got fangs. That doesn't bite. That really does take its pound of flesh. And and effectively, what you're working with there is a geared uh, version of a volatility index. And so you're kind of putting high-octane fuel on a fire already. Boom, that thing goes. Yeah. Uh, and I've traded that extensively. I, I love trading options around that. I know we've got a bunch of clients that do the same thing. But again, that's so far along the, the sort of food trough from when you're starting. And it gives you an idea that, you know, ETFs, as we've discussed them, and I appreciate the way you've structured this particular conversation, because when you think about it, ETFs are a pretty run-of-the-mill shopping cart that you can push around the supermarket and put some stuff in. But when you're having this level of conversation where you know, you've got a sun, you've got planets, and you've got moons around that, you've got a satellite system, if you will, you realize just how powerful and structured and advanced that these tools can be. So you may well have you know, a geared position on an index with a couple of sectors that you particularly like. So you know, let's say you've got a bullish view on the market. So you might have a geared ETF like TQQ. You might also like gold for whatever reason. So GLD may be the ETF that you add in there for that sector as, as gold's moving in, a, in an inflationary environment. But you feel volatility is going to increase. So you've bought some UVXY. All of a sudden, you've got a really sophisticated, structured portfolio using a tool that most people think is so mundane and meat and potatoes. And that's just through their own naivety and not truly understanding just how powerful a tool they really are. Well, speaking of powerful tools, that's another example which I know you and I have spoken of a number of months ago. It was a very specific ETF, and this is in order to capitalize on a bespoke fundamental view, was <laughs> EMTY. Yeah. How can we forget, it, one, as obviously a one-off example, but a very good example of how you can get super niche. Yeah, look, great reminder. And and, and yeah, MT, EMTY, this is, a, <laughs> this is, this is how narrow and specific, you know, the specificity of this is really quite incredible. So what EMTY is looking at is the retail sector. And it's not looking at stronger retail sales or weaker retail sales and seeing shops boom or, or, or bust. What it specifically was trading was a decline in, in bricks and mortar retail, department stores, shopping malls, and things of that ilk. But in favor of, so it was bearish on those types of assets, and it was bullish on online retail, say Amazon and things like that. Now, that was probably one of the best bell ringer trades ever during COVID because all of a sudden people weren't going to a department store or a shopping mall to do their shopping. They were still shopping, but in a different way. And EMTY was a very, very cleverly structured ETF to, to capitalize on that. And so, yeah, short bricks and mortar retail, long online retail. And boy, that was a cracker. I'll give you another ridiculous uh, like pandemic one for you. And that was PETS, PETS. And, and there was a high spike up uh, in people buying pets, companion animals, because of lockdown. They got lonely course, at home yeah. and they wanted a goldfish or a dog or something to, to give them a cuddle. I don't know. Um, anyway, they, uh, so, they, so, so they've got pets. 
then as people go back to work, they realize that they don't have the time or capability to put the maintenance into to loving it. So Pets was an ETF that was set up all about pet health, pet grooming, pet walking, uh, and all of the different ancillary services associated with looking after a pet when someone's gone back to work and they can't necessarily do it themselves. They don't want to, the novelty's worn off. So yeah, th- that's absolutely through the most minute sort of hole in the aperture at the most narrow niche ETF compared to the S&P 500, but gee, when you use those tools in the right way and harvest what they've got to give, they can be incredibly profitable. I love that. And as you can see, ETFs by no means are they basic. They can be very specific and very high level. Hence why in 30 years time, you've discovered that they're your favorite instrument to trade. It's it's an evolution in the market for sure. And I guess part and parcel for me, I got asked a while ago, what would you do if you were starting again? And and it jumped off the page. Well, it makes perfect sense. And that satellite portfolio, uh, you know, solar system model that we operate is a very, very good way of doing it. And and to be quite honest, Mitch, anyone that's starting out on their investment journey and they've got some savings in cash right now, which let's face it, after inflation is earning nothing, um, instead taking that cash and deploying it into an ETF to better track the market makes massive sense. And it's so easy to use that as a regular savings plan every month to your money date tip your cash, get it into another ETF so you can be as diversified or as focused as you want and get that money working hard for you. And yeah, if you look at it in the hierarchy of where people see things from an investing point of view, or I'll get some managed funds or I'll move into shares, yeah, this is probably a better place to start because it's arguably a lower risk proposition, a lot easier to get up and running. And, and in the case versus managed funds is probably going to outperform based on the statistics. So. There you go. ETFs, AB, that's a fairly consolidated uh, interview and and podcast there. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Anytime, Mitch. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating and pass this podcast on to someone you know that's looking to get started in the stock market. It might just help them set themselves up financially for the rest of their life.